PenPod, internal medicine podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Hi everyone, welcome to another Hematology Oncology PenPod on the basics of oncology. I'm Brandon Swed, a third-year internal medicine resident at HUP. In this talk, I'll discuss what you need to know so you can jump right into your oncology rotations, feel more comfortable in making sense of your patient's oncologic history, and hopefully make patient encounters and rounds more meaningful. Specifically, we'll review the basics of cancer diagnosis and nomenclature used for staging. We'll discuss the most common treatment options that your patients will have undergone, and we'll try to demystify some of the jargon that we frequently hear as it pertains to cancer patients. So let's get started. As you all know, cancer is a term used to describe a state of uncontrolled, abnormal growth of cells. There are two main subtypes of cancer, which make up the two inpatient oncology services at HUP. Liquid oncology, or blood cancers, include diseases like leukemia, lymphoma, and multiple myeloma. Solid oncology, as its name suggests, connotes solid tumors, like lung and pancreatic cancer. In the U.S., the most common cancers in men are prostate, lung, and colon cancer, respectively. For women, the most common are breast, lung, and colon. However, lung cancer remains the deadliest form of cancer for both men and women. The gold standard for the diagnosis of most cancers is biopsy. You may have heard phrases like, tissue is the issue, or no meat, no treat. These simply emphasize how important it is to have a tissue sample for both diagnostic as well as prognostic and therapeutic implications. There are a variety of methods to obtain tissue depending on the type and location of cancer. Fine needle aspiration, or FNA, is where a thin, long needle is introduced into the area of interest and a syringe is used to draw out fluid and cells for analysis. Core needle biopsy uses a larger needle with a cutting tip to remove a column of tissue for analysis. If the cells are inadequate to assess, or if the biopsy results are inconclusive, a patient may undergo a surgical biopsy to remove part of, or all of, the area of concern, also known as an excisional biopsy. Endoscopic biopsies can also be performed in certain cases. Example of these include cystoscopy to obtain bladder tissue, bronchoscopy to obtain lung tissue, and colonoscopy to obtain colon tissue. Bone marrow biopsies are also commonly used to diagnose liquid malignancies or tumors that have originated elsewhere and are suspected to have spread to the bone marrow. Once a patient is diagnosed with cancer, they'll typically undergo a staging evaluation. Cancer staging is a way of describing the degree and severity of the cancer in a format that's well understood by others, particularly the multidisciplinary team that's caring for a patient. The most common staging system that we use with solid tumors is the TNM system. T stands for tumor. Specifically, how large is the primary tumor and where is it located? This is usually followed by a number from 1 to 4 based on size or extent of the primary tumor. N stands for node, that is, has the tumor spread to the lymphatic system? And if so, to what extent? This is followed by a number from zero, suggesting no regional lymph node involvement, to three. And finally, M stands for metastasis, that is, has the cancer spread to distant parts of the body? M is binary and either zero, meaning no distant metastases, or one, indicating the presence of distant metastases. Because each cancer type has its own classification system, it's important to note that letters and numbers do not always mean the same thing for every kind of cancer. 
There are other nuances to the TNM classification, and some that are tumor specific, but that's beyond the scope of this talk. Once the T, N, and M are determined, they are combined, and an overall stage of 0, 1, 2, 3, or 4 is assigned. Sometimes these stages are subdivided as well, using letters such as 3A and 3B. You should know that staging helps to establish a prognosis for the patient and determine the most appropriate treatment options. As you might expect, a cancer with a lower stage is usually associated with a better prognosis. Before we get into treatments, it's important to think about a patient's performance status when considering which treatment options can be used safely. Performance status is highly correlated with survival, need for services, and may help predict ability to tolerate certain therapies. The most common scale we use is the ECOG performance status. It describes a patient's level of functioning in terms of their ability to care for themselves and perform daily activities, and is graded from 0 to 5 as follows. Zero implies the patient is fully active and able to do all pre-disease activities without restriction. One suggests the patient is restricted in physically strenuous activity, but is ambulatory and able to carry out light work around the house or office. An ECOG of two is when the patient is ambulatory and capable of all self-care, but is unable to carry out any work activities, but they're up and about more than 50% of waking hours. Three suggests the patient is capable of only limited self-care. These patients are confined to a better chair more than 50% of waking hours. Four implies the patient is completely disabled, that is, totally confined to a better chair, and cannot perform any self-care. And five is designated once the patient has died. So you can see how you might be much less eager to continue cytotoxic chemotherapy in a patient with an ECOG score of 3 or 4 compared to, say, an ECOG score of 1. Now on to treatments. A helpful way to think about treatment options is to break them down into local versus systemic therapy. Local therapy is intended to treat a tumor at the site without affecting the rest of the body, for example, radiation therapy or surgery. Systemic therapy comes in many forms, commonly chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, targeted therapy, and immunotherapy. In terms of local therapy, surgery often offers the greatest chance for cure for many types of cancer, especially those that have not yet metastasized. Several factors determine who's a suitable surgical candidate, including age, comorbidities, and size and extent of the tumor. Radiation therapy uses high-energy x-rays, gamma rays, protons, and neutrons to destroy cancer cells. It can come from a machine outside the body, known as external beam radiation therapy, or it may come from radioactive material, or seeds, placed in the body near cancer cells, known as internal radiation therapy, or brachytherapy. Radiation can be used either as a primary therapy, for example in prostate cancer, or as an adjuvant therapy, like in breast cancer. Gamma knife is a highly advanced tool used to treat brain tumors and metastases and other lesions like AVMs. It uses a concentrated radiation dose to target an area of abnormal tissue within the brain and does so very precisely so as to spare adjacent healthy tissue. Some radiation terms you may encounter include gray, abbreviated GY, which is the preferred measurement of the amount of radiation dose absorbed by the body per unit mass of tissue. A fraction is a smaller division of a total dose of radiation that's given in order to reduce damage to healthy tissues.
and CT simulation is a process to obtain images and create a graphic display of the tumor and surrounding tissue, which allows for precise radiation treatment planning. Now, let's talk about some of the systemic therapies. As you know, chemotherapy works by stopping or slowing the growth of cancer cells, which are rapidly growing and dividing. Because a lot of normal cells in the body also grow and divide rapidly, a lot of normal cells in the body are also damaged by chemotherapy, accounting for the untoward effects that we often see. For example, affecting gut cells causing nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, or hair cells causing alopecia. Many factors play into which chemotherapy drug is best for a particular patient and a particular tumor type. Let's define some chemo-specific terms you may see in oncology clinic notes. First-line chemotherapy is chemo that, through research studies and clinical trials, has been determined to have the best probability of treating a given cancer. This is also known as standard therapy. Second-line chemotherapy is chemo that's given if a disease has not responded to first-line therapy or has reoccurred after such treatment. This may be referred to as salvage therapy. Palliative chemotherapy is chemo that's given specifically to address symptom management without expecting to significantly treat the cancer or improve mortality. Adjuvant chemotherapy is chemo that's given to destroy leftover or microscopic cells that may be present after the tumor has been surgically removed. Adjuvant chemo is given to prevent recurrence. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy is chemo that's given prior to a surgical intervention. The goal is to attempt to shrink the tumor in order to reduce surgical risk and make it more effective. Some terms commonly used for acute leukemia treatment include induction, consolidation, and maintenance chemotherapy. Induction chemo is what's given to induce a remission. Consolidation chemo is chemo that's given once remission is achieved. The goal of this therapy is to sustain a remission and maintenance chemotherapy is usually given in lower doses to assist in prolonging a remission. Another type of systemic therapy is hormonal therapy. This is based on the premise that certain cancers depend on hormones to grow. Hormonal therapy generally works by blocking these hormones and thus limiting tumor growth. An example of this is tamoxifen, which blocks estrogen from attaching to receptors on the mammary epithelial cells. Another common example of hormonal therapy is seen in prostate cancer. Antiandrogens work by reducing the body's production or effect of testosterone, effectively limiting tumor growth that's normally fueled by testosterone. Targeted therapy, as its name implies, involves the use of drugs that are matched to the genetic profile of certain tumors. They're only effective if the patient's tumor has a specific molecular target, which can be near the cancer cell, on its surface, or inside the cell itself. For example, specific targets in lung cancer include KRAS, EGFR, and ALK, or HER2 that's commonly seen in breast cancer. Generally speaking, they have a better side effect profile than systemic therapy because of their more targeted activity in the body. Unfortunately, eventually developing resistance to these drugs is quite common. Immunotherapy works by harnessing the power of our immune system to fight cancer. These drugs help the immune system find and destroy cancer cells. There are several classes of immunotherapy, including checkpoint inhibitors, like pembrolizumab or Keytruda, and adoptive T-cell therapy, like CAR T-cells. The specifics of these types of therapies are beyond the scope of this talk, but just know that it's remarkably effective for certain patients and tumor types, and you'll certainly be encountering patients who are on immunotherapy at HUP.
you'll also see firsthand some of the side effects of immunotherapy, many that are autoimmune-mediated and the dreaded cytokine release syndrome. And briefly, a word on survival terminology that you may come across. Median survival is the measure of how long individuals will live with a certain disease or treatment. The chance of living beyond the time denoted by the median survival is 50%. For example, if median survival is three years, each person is as likely to live less than three years as living for more than three years. Progression-free survival is the length of time during and after the treatment that a patient lives with the disease, but it doesn't get worse. Overall survival is the length of time from either the date of diagnosis or the start of treatment that patients diagnosed with the disease are still alive. And event-free survival is a measure of the proportion of people who remain free of a particular complication of disease after treatment that's designed to prevent or delay that particular complication. For example, a treatment might be designed to prevent bone pain. In this case, reported bone pain would be the event that they're measuring, and a 50% event-free survival at one year for a treatment means that half of the participants reported no bone pain during the year after treatment. And that brings us to the end of this pen pod on the basics of oncology. I hope you learned some useful information to help you get the most out of your oncology rotations.